do sit down. And we're um, continuing our series this morning, looking at some of the parables of Jesus. We're two-thirds away through a series looking at some of Jesus' uh, stories, stories he told to illustrate lots of key spiritual principles and truths. And Jesus was, of course, uh, the master storyteller and used everyday items and imagery to communicate important truths. And so we've looked at stories of sheep, of people, of seeds, of wedding feasts, and so much more. And uh, this morning we're going to hear read to us a passage from Luke's Gospel, chapter 19. So Wendy, if you'd like to come and read for us. Um, this morning's parable is the parable of the ten minus. Chapter, chapter 19, verses 11 to 27. While they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable. Because he was near Jerusalem, and the people thought that he was the kingdom of God, and he was going to appear at once. He said, a man of noble birth went to a decent, distant country to have himself appointed king, and then to return. So he called ten of his servants and gave them ten minus. Put the money to work, he said, until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. He was made king, however, and returned home. Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one came and said, Sir, your miner has earned ten more. Well done, my good servant, his master replied. Because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of ten cities. The second came and said, Sir, your miner has earned five more. His master answered, You take charge of five cities. Then another servant came and said, Sir, here is your miner. I have kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man and you take out what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I am a hard man, taking you what I did not put in I'm reaping what I did not sow. Why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest? Then he said to those standing by, take his miner away from him and give it to the one who has 10 minus. Sir, they said, he already has 10. He replied, I tell you, to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. But those enemies of mine, who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, I've got a bit of a a fun job this morning because this parable is rather complex. Um, But we'll give it a go. So let's pray, shall we? Lord, thank you for your word to us. Thank you that it speaks to us words of life. And we pray, Lord God, that by your spirit, you would indeed speak into our hearts and minds this morning. In Jesus' name. 
Amen. So some of Jesus' parables, some of his stories are about uh, waiting. I wonder how you feel about waiting. As I alluded to earlier, Frank and Amber have been waiting for uh, about 18 months for Finley's baptism. He first approached us when he was only six months old. He's now uh, two. He celebrated his second birthday just last month. We've been waiting for some semblance of normality to return after 18 months of the COVID pandemic. Most people don't like waiting. We're impatient for things to happen. Whether it's waiting to start a new job, whether it's waiting for uh, news of a friend we haven't seen for a while, whether it's waiting for payday. Well, today's parable, in part at least, is about waiting. It's an interesting one, but it's also a complex one. In many ways, it raises more questions, so we have to dig deep to understand it and work hard to find the diamonds. It's about waiting for someone to return from a distant land, and it's about how we might wait. There's a parallel passage in uh, Matthew's Gospel, Matthew 25, which we know as the parable of the talents, but that one is much simpler in its form. And it seems that what Jesus is doing here in this particular um, uh, account, this particular parable, is that he's using a particular historical event which would have been fresh in people's minds, which contained a period of waiting. And he's layering that on top of his key message. Uh, Many of you will have heard of Herod the Great, a Roman ruler of Judea, for about 35 years until sometime around the time of Jesus' birth. Well, when he died, his son Archelaus was due to succeed him. But uh, Archelaus had to travel to Rome to have his claims to power ratified. Now, this chap Archelaus wasn't particularly pleasant. In fact, he'd been caught up in the murder of 300 people in the temple. So a delegation went to Rome to dispute his claims to be king, whilst his servants stayed in Jerusalem looking after his estate. Are you with me so far? What's this got to do with anything? Well, you see, this historical story is embedded in Jesus' parable. He's using this, what would have been a well-known recent historical event, and he's weaving it into his message. And so people hearing a parable would have been able to quickly identify with the cruel and callous master spoken about, Archelaus. And so they would have been able to picture the scene through an Archelaus lens, waiting for the return of a tyrannical leader. But at the same time, Jesus is painting a picture to be observed through a kingdom lens, And it's sometimes difficult to unravel the two storylines. We're left rather cross-eyed. If you want to go in depth and see how the different layers interrelate, then Paula Gooder's book on the parables is very helpful on this. But for now, let's strip it back to a more simple message. So there are ten servants, and each of them is given a coin. But Jesus focuses on the actions of three of them. All of them are given an opportunity whilst the master is away. The servants have to wait for his return 
and decide what to do with their time and how to use what the master has given them. Servant number one reminds me of my oldest son. Some of you know him. He has something of an entrepreneurial spirit. He's just completed his degree in sports, business and management at UWE. And I'm very proud of him. During lockdown, he was quick to spot various gaps in the market. So early on, he spotted there was a bit of a gap in the market for home gyms because no one could go out to a gym. So he'd buy up gyms, home gyms on um, Facebook Marketplace or Gumtree or wherever and sell them on at some profit. Later, as things opened up, he branched out into golf trolleys and golf clubs and golf bags and set up his own business, AJP Golf. There you go, a bit of sponsors mentioned there. <laughs> Andrew knows how to make money, and he reminds me of this first servant. So servant number one turns one gold coin, that's what a miner is, one gold coin into ten. Servant number two is not quite so sharp, but you can't really complain about a 500% gain, can you? Certainly enough to please the Alan Sugars of this world. But for servant number three, you're fired. He didn't even try. He wrapped his gold coin in a handkerchief out of fear that he might lose it. And his fear arose from seeing his master through the sort of Archelaus lens as a master who was harsh and unbending. And so the returning nobleman responds predictably. Servants one and two get added responsibility and added recognition. The governorship of ten and five cities, respectively. Servant number three gets an earful, and even the one coin he's carefully looked after is taken away from him. And Jesus, the master storyteller in verse 26, says, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. But even that is confusing, isn't it? Is this a story about material wealth and market forces and prosperity and the benefits of hard work? Absolutely not. It can't be. This passage comes straight after the time when Jesus has had an encounter with Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus the tax collector. And Jesus has praised Zacchaeus for his willingness to give up his wealth and to repay anyone who's cheated. So this parable can't be about making lots of money, maximising profits. In amongst the subplots of the wicked Archelaus, Jesus is teaching a crowd about waiting. Waiting not for an evil tyrant, but waiting for his own return one day in glory. Jesus was nearing Jerusalem. He knew what lay ahead. He knew of his arrest, his trial, the beatings, the mocking, the cruel death. He foresaw it all. But he also foresaw his resurrection to new life, his ascension into heaven to be with his heavenly Father. And a period of history where humanity would wait for his return. Many thought that would be a short wait. 2,000 years later, we realise it's a lengthy wait. But a key aspect of Christian belief all through the centuries 
is in the fact that one day Jesus will return in glory. And as we wait for that return, we could be waiting like the servant with a single coin, just wrapped in a handkerchief, doing nothing, living in fear of how we might be judged. Or we could wait like the productive servants, using our time, our energy and our resources wisely, shrewdly and fruitfully. Here at Christchurch, we often talk of time, tithes and talents, the three T's. God gives us 24 hours each day, 168 hours a week, to serve him and to lead fruitful lives, using our time generously and productively. The idea of tithe, the Old Testament principle of giving 10% of our income, it's about giving of our very best to God's work to his church, to his mission in the world. It's about blessing others. And then talents, using our talents, our gifts, our abilities to serve others, to fulfill Jesus' great commandment, to love God with all our heart and soul and strength, and to love our neighbours as ourselves. And his great commission to make disciples of all nations. And in my experience, the more I'm willing to use my talents and abilities for God's kingdom, the more he equips me and works in me and through me. So the question is, how will we wait? How will we wait in the knowledge that one day Jesus will return? Will we wait in fear of an Archelaus-type tyrant out to get us? Or will we wait in the freedom of a returning king, King Jesus, who promises good things to all who follow him? Will we wait investing in God's kingdom and for God's kingdom, productively, willingly and generously? Amen.